Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. I know you love games, so let's play a game. Okay, what game? The name of the game is Name That Family. I'll give you clues, and you'll guess who I'm talking about. Sounds like fun. This family has eight children. Okay. They are all adopted. Okay, well, that narrows it down. All right. Well, here is your final clue. Are you ready? Yes. The parents are our age, and they have grandchildren. Oh, Jonathan, that makes it so easy. It's the Barry family. Ding, 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 ding. You are the winner. So today in our podcast, we are going to talk with Mike Barry. Mike is the founder of Confessions of an Adoptive Parent, a national speaker and author of Confessions of an Adoptive Parent, Hope and Help from the Trenches of Foster Care and Adoption, and most recently, Winning the Heart of Your Child. One of the things that I love about talking with Mike and his wife, Kristen, whom we'll be talking with next month, is just how real and vulnerable they are. They don't sugarcoat the day-to-day, and God is using their journey to help families all around the country. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Mike, welcome to the Hope A New Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. As we get going, why don't you just tell us a little about yourself, like how long you've been married, the number of kids you have, grandkids, the ages your kids were when they joined your family, that kind of thing. Yeah, so we are parents to eight children, all through adoption. Uh, We actually started off in 2002 adopting through a private agency, um, which in fact, her 17th birthday is on Saturday in two days. So that's kind of a little reality check for me. Like, oh my gosh, 17 years has passed. So started off adopting privately through an agency here in Indianapolis where we're from. Then we fostered the next six children who ended up permanently becoming a part of our family. And then our last adoption was a private adoption as well. So the private adoption where the book ends, um, foster to adopt was the six in between. And so that's our, our makeup of children. And then I also have older children who uh, have also had children. That means I'm a grandparent three times over now. Wow. And Kristen and I have been married for almost 20 years, nice. 20 years this coming July. So that's our, our family. And again, all, all through adoption, we have no biological kids. So, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much immersed on the adoptive <laughs> journey, adoptive nice. parenting journey. Excellent. Well, congratulations on your anniversary. That's a, that's a Thank you. big milestone. Well, yeah. Sarah and I have gotten to know you and Kristen a little bit, and we know that you both are very intentional parents, yet you don't take life too seriously. Uh, would you mind sharing one of your favorite parenting memories? Oh, wow. Gosh, that is a big question right there. <laughs> I, have to, I have to fly back through the archives now and think about our favorite parenting moments. Man, Wow. I didn't think I'd be stumped. Usually I'm not stumped on questions like this, but we have so many, you know, there's been so many, um, so many moments that, that we cherish. You know, I remember all of our adoption days. Those were really, really celebratory because, you know, for those who are familiar with the adoption process, you know, when you, when you finalize your adoption through the courts, it's, it's just a fun day. You know, it's a lot of fun, a lot, everybody piles into a courtroom, you know, that's typically, not necessarily celebratory, you know, on any other day of the week. Mm -hmm. So everybody's piled into the room and, and they're, 
you go before a judge, of course, and you have an attorney ask you questions, you know, question you, you get sworn in and all that, but it's all real lighthearted. Mm. And then you take pictures with the judge and it's just a lot of fun. So those moments, each one of our, our kids adoption days um, really stick out to me as being amazing and just celebratory. Like I said, I will say this. Um, we actually, a couple of weeks ago, we our two teenage daughters who are se- almost 17 and 18 went to their very first prom. And so that was really cool. I thought it was going to be really emotional and hard for us, but it ended up being another really celebratory day. And so, you know, um, that moment sticks out to me because it just happened, you know, where we just, where we celebrated with our kids. And that's a big deal for us. You know, we, we love being involved in our kids' lives. We love being connected with them. In fact, the last book that I, I wrote, which is called Winning the Heart of Your Child, one of the key chapters and, and the key steps, strategies in that book is involvement with your kids. So we really take it seriously. It's not just something we write about or speak about, but we actually, we believe it because we just, we know how quickly time goes. And a long, long time ago, when we first started out on this journey, which was would be almost 17 years ago to the day, we had somebody look at us and tell us, you know, time goes really fast. And a lot of people are going to tell you that, but I'm here to tell you it really does. And so since then, we've always, we've always made involvement a high priority. And that's the reason why I, I could say this is not, that, that's a hard question to answer because we have so many. I don't want to sound like, oh my gosh, every, every moment's perfect. <laughs> right. And we're, you know, we're always happy because that's definitely not the case. <laughs> there are really hard days, but I can tell you that, you know, I think about prom a, a couple of weekends ago. Then I think about, you know, a month ago when we found out our 17 year old daughter got the lead in Beauty and the Beast. She's Belle. And oh, wow. everybody was dancing and celebrating and and her brothers and her sister were happy and bouncing off the walls and we're, we're telling everybody. And just moments like that fill you up and really, they're moments to cherish. And so I could go on and on about that. And we do have a lot of those those moments, but those are two that really stick out in my mind. Yeah, those are great moments and wonderful memories. Yeah, and I love that because when we talk about and think about kids who come from hard places, to have those times where you can just celebrate where they're at now, just so valuable. Yeah, yeah. and oftentimes when it comes to the foster and adoptive journey in particular, this journey is hard. And, you know, parenting in general is hard, but when you're parenting children with trauma history or children with major special needs, it can be really draining and oftentimes mm-hmm. parents it leaves parents in a place where they don't they don't feel like they have a lot to celebrate but you really do i mean we celebrate even in the midst of the hard you know we we dance even on the hard days and it doesn't mean we're not we're not in denial over the difficulties but what we realize is that you know there is hope in the middle of the storm there is the sun is shining behind the clouds as we often say you know even when the storm is raging and all you can see is dark clouds and thunder and lightning and rain, understand that that sun is still shining behind those clouds. And so, you know, that's, that's the reason why I can say, yeah, it's, even when it's hard, we celebrate. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Perfect. Okay, next question is that often ministries are started out of a person's own personal life experience or organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What in your life gave you and Kristen the passion or what was the motivating factor to start Confessions of an Adoptive Parent? 
Yeah. And I can tell you that that is, I don't want to say it was started out of personal wounds, but it was started out of a hard uh, season on our journey. Back in 2011, we actually launched Confessions of an Adoptive Parent in September 2012. But about a year and a half before that, we were invited by a friend to join a support group in downtown Indianapolis, close to where we're from. We live north of Indianapolis, but we were invited to come down and join this support group for foster and adoptive parents. And, and in particular, it was a support group for people who had already finalized adoption. So it was basically post-adoptive. And to be honest with you, our immediate reaction was, heck no, <laughs> I am not coming to your support group. And the reason for that is that we had grown to hate support groups. And, and I'm probably stepping on somebody's toes who loves support groups, but <laughs> honestly, we hated them because we had been through a series of, of support groups where it was always staffed with like a, I don't know, like a 22-year-old social work major, <laughs> no offense to a 22-year-old social worker, but they would come in, they don't have any kids, they're, they're not, they're, they, have, they have no experience with adoption, they're not foster parents, and then they would proceed to tell us everything we were doing wrong <laughs> as mm. parents. And it may not have completely been like that, but it was really, you know, it, it really felt like that, you know? Mm. So we had been through a series of groups like that and it just kind of made us feel awful. And basically my thing was, I got to a point where I'm like, I don't need anybody to tell me that I suck as a parent. I already <laughs> feel that way. And I already, I already know that I'm failing. So I don't need anybody to like confirm that beyond what I already know. So I was kind of like, yeah, we're not going to come. We're not doing this. But then our friend said, well, listen, they offer free food and free childcare. And we were like, okay, <laughs> now you got us because that's like date night, right? Even if we're right. Gonna, right. you know, sit there at a supporter group. So, so we took our kids down and, and we, you know, we really went hesitantly. We weren't enthusiastic driving down. Plus, you know, one of our kids was completely out of control we didn't even think we could make it down there because he just wasn't safe to ride in the car. Wouldn't stay buckled in his car seat. It was really a disaster. And so we got down, we got down to the building that they were hosting this thing in. We ate dinner. We put our kids in child in, in the childcare, which was kind of funny because it was staffed with like college students who were really energetic and they had all of these kids, you know, who had come from traumatic places in there in this gymnasium and they were all bouncing off the walls and we put we know we kind of pushed our kids into the room we were like good luck you know and then we left we left and we went up to this room and i'll never forget this we walked into this this conference room with this big conference table and around the table there were all these other couples who had adopted through the foster care and nobody was making eye contact with anybody nobody was saying anything nobody was doing anything Basically, you could tell that everybody felt the same. They're like, we do not want to be here. We don't need somebody to, to confirm that we're terrible parents. And about five minutes later, this, this woman walks in. That she's the facilitator. And I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. Mm. You know, this is going to be a disaster. And I'm going to hate this. And we're never coming back. And she looks at the room and she says to all the families, all the couples gathered, she says, listen, why don't we just go around the table and tell our stories? you know, why we're here, tell about our families. And so one by one, every couple around the table began to share, you know, what was going on in their homes, share about their families, you know, the makeup of their families, how many kids they adopted. And then in the process, 
you know, they, it got pretty honest really quick. Mm. People were being really honest and, and open and raw about what was going on in their homes and, and talking about some really, really tough circumstances. You know, kids who, were, who had been in trouble with the law, kids who would run away, kids who were verbally, physically aggressive, violent. And in the whole time, everybody's telling their stories. The woman facilitating the meeting would just nod and she would just say, Every now and then she would just say, yeah, I know that is really hard. Mm. You are not alone. It's okay. You know, she just kept saying that over and over again. Got to us, we shared our story. And I, we walked out that night, we're driving home and we're like, man, that was amazing. Huh. Like that was not what we expected. And we, we were talking on the drive home and, you know, I, I said, you know, none of our issues, none of the things that we're struggling with have been solved but I feel like I have this energy. I feel like I have this life. Mm. And we realized that, you know, in moments like that, you know, when you're connected with people who, who get it, who understand it, who are living it, um, finding out that you're not alone is healing. It doesn't solve your problems, but it does give you hope in knowing that there are others limping along just like you. And in that season in particular, we felt really isolated and alone. We Mm -hmm. felt like there was nobody in this world who understood us. Nobody was going through this. Nobody was dealing with kids like this. And that was the first moment. And now at that point, we had been doing this now for like seven or eight years, I think at that point. Yeah, 2011. So it was we started in 2002, 2004 is when we became, we became foster parents. So seven years. Wow. Feeling like we were alone. And all of a sudden in that one support group meeting, we realized we're not alone. There is hope. And so out of that, the idea was birthed to start a blog that was just open and honest and encouraging to foster and adoptive parents. And that's, that's how Confessions of an Adoptive Parent started. Uh, it just started as a, as a little hobby blog in 2012 and um, launched it from scratch. And um, since then it's grown, but that's how we started. Wow. It's amazing how having somebody that you can relate to, somebody that you feel like gets it, just how freeing that is. And it feels like it takes that weight off your shoulders. So that's... Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Even when they don't provide any answers or any solutions, just listening. Yeah, most of our journey has been that right there, what you just said. Most of it has been community. Now, we believe community and education have to hold hands with one another. That You can't mm-hmm. have one without the other. But I would say most of what we've done, most of what we've experienced has been not finding any answers. We have a lot of answers now. And of course, we, we provide the answers and we train, pe- we train parents and we travel and we speak about this and, and advocate for this. But a lot of it has been just knowing that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's invaluable. Now, I have to say, true confession here, I was that 22-year-old counselor at one point that was coming alongside the parents and uh, <laughs> not having a clue what I should say or do. And so, Me too. And yeah. uh, there's been many times since then, and I've said, wow, those poor families that, that had to <laughs> come see me and, and endure the counseling with me. <laughs> so if you're out there... All you families, uh, my apologies right now. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we've often <laughs> looked at each other after we've had kids with special needs and we look back and we're just like, we were no help to those parents. 
We used to think yeah. we knew everything about parenting before we had kids. Exactly. And the, then we became parents and we're like, oh my gosh, we know nothing. Exactly. Well, yeah. our backgrounds are counseling. That's what we did. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Yeah. So as parents, we often have dreams about what our families are going to look like. And I'm sure that's true of foster and adoptive parents too. Mm-hmm. How has your journey been different than what you expected at the beginning? Well, I can tell you that oftentimes on this journey, we've had those, I didn't sign up for this moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it's interesting because I always tell people an honesty that, you know, I have those thoughts, but I reconcile those thoughts with this reality. And that is, I am signed up for this. You know, like this is, circumstances with my oldest son are extremely difficult. You know, he's extremely hard to parent sometimes. We love him deeply, but he's really hard to parent. And, but there are still moments where we're like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I love this kid and I'm fighting for him, but this is not, this, this aspect is not what I signed up for, you know? And so I think that, yeah, to answer your question, what you just said, yeah, there is this idealized version of family. And even when people, and people choose adoption for a lot of different reasons, you know, it could be infertility, it could be because of miscarriages, it could be just because they, you know, chose adoption, they, that's the path they wanted to go down, or they have biological kids and now they decided that they wanted to adopt as well. There's a lot of different reasons, but what we find is that oftentimes people, they do get into this because they, they think, oh, this is going to be amazing. You know, I'm going to, they picture the, no offense to anybody who's adopted this way, but they'll picture the the beautiful, you know, baby from China or, you know, the precious little blonde haired, blue eyed boy who needs a home or, you know, you name it, right? They picture that, but they never understand that this is, this child has come from some really difficult circumstances and it's not going to be easy. So oftentimes people are ill-prepared when it comes to understanding where this child has come from. And those dreams, those idealized visions come crashing down really, really quickly. Not that long after they start the process. It, it, a lot of our clients, they're in that situation. You know, that's why we, we are actively teaching, you know, trauma knowledge and, and behavior understanding and management strategies because we have more people come to us than I can even count that say, oh my gosh, I knew this was going to be hard. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. So I think there was another part to your question, but I've totally, it's totally slipped my mind now. No, you're good. Uh, what you would ask at the end of that. That's, yes. that's typically something that I do. <laughs> so how has your journey been different than what you expected? Yeah, yeah. Here's what I'll say about that. If I go back 20 years in the past, most of what, what our life looks like now, I did not envision. We did not envision. We had no idea. Even when we, when we began the adoptive parenting journey four years after we got married, we still would not have pictured this. And what I say, when I say that, I mean the hardships, the heartaches, the heartbreak, but there's another side of that we've ne- we wouldn't have, have envisioned. And that is the joy, mm. the deep abiding joy. Mm. And when I use the word joy, I'm not talking about happy go lucky. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm talking about this sustaining belief that, even through the storm, you are held and you are, you are with hope. That's what joy is. Joy is anger. It's sorrow. It's laughter. It's happiness. It's freedom. It's peace. It's restlessness all bunched together in this one experience. 
because in that experience, it's an understanding that you are sustained, that you are, you are with hope, even if it's completely hopeless. And that's the part I didn't expect. I didn't expect to really understand what joy really was, nor did I expect to understand my great capacity to love. You know, I had no idea how deep the human heart could go until I started this journey because there have been moments where circumstances are really, really hard, defeating, exhausting, hopeless. But in the depth of my heart, I still feel a deep, deep love for this child. And I still feel a deep, deep love for this experience. You know, that's really where we're at right now with one of our children in particular, feeling this deep love, but at the same time being so exhausted mm-hmm. and so frustrated, but not not giving up the fight. There's a there's a great song by the artist Toby Mac mm-hmm. called Love Feels Like. And I wish I, I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but basically in that song, he talks about how this is what true love feels like. It's poured out, it's broken, and it's still giving. Mm-hmm. You know, he says something along those lines like, used up, poured out, still giving is is the line that always gets me because that's how you feel oftentimes that you are just used up, you are bone dry and you're still pouring out, you're still giving. And that is what true love is is about. And that's that's not a bad, I don't think that's a bad thing. Some people may think, yeah, I didn't sign up for this. But what I think, when I look at that, I think, you know, I needed to, to know that about myself. I needed to learn that about myself because I was a selfish person and I realized how deep my heart can go for this child. And when you realize that, I think that's just a part of being human, number one, but I think it, it makes you a better version of yourself. So yeah, both sides. I didn't expect the heartache, the heartbreak, but I also didn't expect how much I would learn about myself. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. Yeah, everything. Everything you just said is so beautifully said. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Something we've found to be true with all kids, but especially kids from a traumatic background, is just how beneficial it is to the parent-child relationship to have that individual time with them. And you already mentioned that. With eight kids, how do you give individual time to each one? You know, I'd love to have a really glamorous answer for this, but the, (laughs) the simple answer is is that we're intentional about it and it's and we it's on a rotation. It's on a rotation. Now, when I say rotation, I'm talking about like the planned special moments. Like we travel all year long and when we can, we take our kids with us. So back in February, I went to, we went out to uh, Tacoma, Washington to teach a marriage seminar and we took one of our sons with us. And then I did the same last month when I went to Iowa. I took two of my sons with me. And we do that every chance we get because we want to have those special times with our kids and they love it. Anyways, they love getting to travel this coming summer. I'm heading back up to Epping, North Dakota for a family camp and taking all my boys and probably both of my, two of my daughters with me uh, on that trip. So we, we rotate through our kids with that, but then, you know, we just, we leverage the, what I consider uh, and what a lot of people consider the insignificant times Mm -hmm. like grocery store runs you know, trip to the gas station, got to, got to run an errand, got to drop off library books. You know, we, we will just ask, Hey, who wants to go with us? And, you know, normally you're going to have, unless, unless 
the Xbox is in full swing or, or there's something on Netflix that they're glued to, they will usually, we will usually have a child go with us, but we are always, we are always in the car with one of our kids. And, you know, it really comes down to just making that a priority. And that's what we've done. And I think the one thing for the two of us that is important to note is that we, without going into too much detail, we wished each of us in our own childhood wished we would have had more of that Mm -hmm. with our parents growing up. And so out of that, it's become a huge value for us. Plus there's just a lot of competing voices in this world. There's a lot of values. There's a lot of, well, and there's also a lot of, of desperation amongst young people. And I think, Parental influence makes up for a lot of that. I think parental influence changes that and also parental involvement. In fact, if I were ever to write another book off of the Winning the Heart book, it would probably be along the lines of involvement, Mm -hmm. an entire book on being involved in your child's life and what that looks like and how it changes them. And so that's really what it is for us. We don't have a, a magical formula. We are very structured. We have a routine that we follow religiously. Uh, and that may, that plays into it, but really it just, it comes down to rotating through our kids and every single week making it a priority. Smart. Yeah. It's a good way to do it. Yeah. And I love how you pointed out doing the daily things is a way to maximize that time too. I know I used to feel guilty about thinking of that as individual time with my kids because it wasn't focused on what they wanted to do. But then I realized, you know, this is life. And if we're going to get anything done, why not maximize it with the kids? And they can learn that, you know, they yeah, can still absolutely. have time with me while we accomplish something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say this too. We oftentimes get so drilled down on the big, what we consider quality times. Like, well, you know what? I'm going to work, 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 put in all the hours. And then we're going to get to spring break and we're going we're gonna to go to Florida and we're going to spend all this quality time together. And, you know, we get into this trap of thinking, yeah, it's a busy season um, and we have to go, go, go. We have to get up in the morning, do work, do school, get home at night, do dinner and then crash, you know. And the problem with thinking like that, number one, if you're talking about someone who's a workaholic, they are not going to just suddenly magically stop checking their email when they get to that Florida vacation. If they've been working, working, working all the time around the clock, But second of all, I think we miss out on those smaller times that can add up to be quality times. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a a large quantity of those times that can add up together to become quality time. And it may just be what we would consider a meaningless trip to the grocery store. Or, you know, we've got to run an errand. We've got to pick up something from from a, a friend. I don't know, whatever it is. Intentionally honing in on those times adds up to quality time. Yeah, it sure does. Now, I recently read your newest book, uh, Winning the Heart of Your Child. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that stood out to me was that your advice helps every parent and not just parents of children impacted by trauma or disability. And you don't have to have your degree in psychology to win the heart of your child. Most of the things that you write about are simple, are simple things. Not that they're easy, but they're simple to understand. Let me say it that way. In your book, you outline four traps that parents often fall into. Can you outline what those are and give examples of each? So, yeah, I talk about the what I consider to be the four approaches, the four default approaches, if you will, to parenting 
Number one, you have what I call the the dreamer. And in the book, I talk, I give it a name, the Gilmore Girl approach, mm-hmm. right? You think about it in terms of the Gilmore Girls. If anybody's watched that show, you know that it's kind of like this dreamy parent, you know, mother-daughter relationship between Lorelai Gilmore and Rory Gilmore, where, you know, they sometimes they don't get along, but mostly they're just like best friends and they they laugh, they make witty jokes and you know, their, their dialogue is always like sharp and on point. And, you know, that's kind of the dreamer approach where we look at it like, oh, that would be, that's, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with my mm. kid, you know, and we get this idealistic mm. version, vision of parenting. Well, then closely related to that is what I call the BFF approach. And that's the parent who, you know, they don't want to discipline their child. They just, they just want to be best friends with their kid and Hey, whatever, I can do to make you happy. I'll do it. I'll make you happy. And, and I, I give that a name. That's the buddy, the elf approach, mm-hmm. you know, buddy, the elf from elf, you know, like, you know, I just love everybody and, mm-hmm. and right. smiling is my favorite. I'm your best friend. You know, I, I especially like the part in that movie when he's, he's following his little brother, Michael, after he goes to Michael's school mm-hmm. and Michael gets out of school and Buddy's like, Michael, you know, yelling at him and he's following him and he's just like, hey, what do you like to do? What's, what's your favorite <laughs> thing to do? You know, and just, just on and on and on, like, I'm just your best friend, right? Uh, so that's the best friend approach. And then the antithesis of all that would be the commander approach. And I call this the general, I give this a name, General Patton. And that's the parent who it's my way or the highway. It's rules, rules, rules. I'm in command. I'm in control. You're going to march in order. You're going to follow my rules. There's no give, no ifs, ands, or buts. Mm -hmm. And then closely related to that is the instructor. And that I call that the Mr. Strickland. Uh, Mr. Strickland, if you're familiar with Back to the Future, he was the principal in Back to the Future. And the instructor approach is, you know, is the parent who lectures and and everything has to be a lesson, you know, like the child just asks like, hey, you know, I was just curious about whatever it may be, right? I was just curious, something that's really like lighthearted and the parent turns it into like a an hour long teaching session, right? Or when the child steps out of line, it's instruct, 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 lecture, lecture, lecture. And so those are the four we could call them traps that parents fall into, what I call parenting approaches that parents take. And realistically, there are a lot of dangers in all four of those parenting approaches. You know, the best friend approach, it often will lack boundaries. The BFF approach, it'll lack boundaries. It'll lack um, needed discipline. Same with the dreamer. Falling into the dreamer trap, really the danger there is that you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. If you think that, oh, I'm going to have this, this amazing relationship with my daughter or my son. And then suddenly as this child grows and becomes their own person, because remember they are, they are a human being who has their own brain and own way of thinking. You're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment when you, when you have this dreamy version of uh, your relationship with them. And then of course, with the commander and also the instructor, the danger there is that you shut your child down. You end up having children who work harder to not get caught, Mm. you know, or a child who stops dialoguing with you because it's like, who wants to dialogue with somebody who just turns everything into a big instruction or a big teaching moment? So, so you have those, those traps, those parenting styles, parenting approaches, whatever you want to call them. But then I counter that with what I call the influential parent. And this is the parent who is dialed into their child's heart, who, and I may be jumping ahead in what you guys wanted to ask me, but that's kind of how I counter all that. You know, the, the influential parent 
is a parent who is able to balance discipline with love and acceptance, boundaries with consistency and involvement. So really with this book in particular, I outlined those, those four parenting styles and then spend the rest of the book talking about what the influential parent really looks like. Excellent. And I say, I love how easy it is to remember the different styles that, that you outlined. Even yeah. since I've read it, I've, I've caught myself thinking, oh, what am I doing here? And I'm finding, oh, you know what? <laughs> My default is to be the commander or the instructor and mostly commander. Yeah. And I can look back at when I took on that role I can revisit the situation and and look at my son's response and just see, oh, I can see that moment where he deflates or where he shuts down. Yeah. And and so now I'm catching myself, okay, what, what am I doing here? What's my goal here? Am I trying to be that influencer? So yeah, I love, I love how simple it is to remember. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for sharing those with us. Yeah, I think, and I think that the struggle that a lot of parents have is they feel like, oh my gosh, if if I don't lecture, if I don't come down hard, if I don't, if I'm not serious about the the boundaries and the, the household rules, then my child's going to disrespect me. Mm-hmm. And my counter to that with a lot of parents is, is hey, I totally understand that, but does it really have to be harsh? Can it be relational? Mm-hmm. I think the word discipline has gotten a bad rap. I think uh, we we look at the word discipline like it's negative or that it has to be harsh. And it really doesn't, no. you know, it, it really doesn't. I think that when you, when you can approach your child calmly and lovingly, I think you gain more respect because the fact is when a parent is losing control or losing their, their mind and, and, you know, coming apart, screaming and yelling and, and commanding and demanding, really what you, what you have as a child, who's going to give you the answer that, that they think you want to hear. Mm -hmm. So it's behavior modification. And with, with behavior modification, what you end up having are kids who work harder to not get caught. And I know that because that was me. Mm. I grew up with a dad who was a commander. He was a mixture of a commander and an instructor. He was just a, a lecturer, a yeller, a, and I have a great relationship with my dad today, but back then growing up, I didn't. And I remember that I would give answers to him just to get him to shut up, just to get him to stop. I would tell him what I thought he wanted to hear to get him off my back. Not because I wanted to do what he was asking me to do. Cause that's what behavior modification produces. It just produces kids who tell you what you want to hear to shut you up or work harder to not get caught in the first place. You know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. One of the quotes that stood out to me from your book is, when we embraced the messiness of our family, our journey became more meaningful. Here's a two-part question. What do you mean by embracing the messiness? And second part, how how did your journey become more meaningful? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I'll say this. You can't change the mess. You know, we are human beings and we are broken and we are, are imperfect. And anytime human beings cohabitate, there's going to be messiness. It's going to be hard. When you're talking about parents, if you're talking about families that have come together through adoption or families who have a trauma history, it is going to be messy. So I talk about embracing the mess because you can't change that. 
And I really believe that what we discover through the messiness is the best version of ourselves mm. because that's when we really learn to love unconditionally. That's when we really learn to give grace. You know, we've been talking a lot about that with our family, like giving each other grace and brothers and sisters stick up for one another. Brothers and sisters always have each other's backs, you know, and, and the reason why we're talking about that is, is we're talking about that because it's been messy, you know, we're talking about situations where there's been a lot of fighting. You know, some of our kids, you know, will fight bitterly with each other at times. And that is really messy. That's not the, that's not the picture perfect family. I often use when I'm, when I'm speaking live, I'll put up a picture that I downloaded from my stock family or my stock photo account, <laughs> you know, for our blog. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will literally go into that account and I will, I will log in stock family and I'll pick the most perfect looking family I can find and I'll put it up on the screen and I will make up this entire story about this family. And I'll tell this big elaborate, like mouthwatering story, like makes everybody wish that they, that was their family. And then I'll look at the audience and I'll say, now here's the thing I need to tell you about this. Everything I just told you is not true. I just made up everything. In fact, this fa- I'll even call them the stock family. I'll call them like Jim and Susan stock. And I'll say, this family is doing exactly what their name says they should do. And that is, they're a stock family photo. Mm. It's not even real. These are four actors who were paid by a photographer to smile at a camera. They didn't even know each other. Chances are they didn't even know each other before they stepped onto the, the set to do the shoot. And yet, we compare ourselves to pictures like this every single day we stand in a grocery store checkout line and we look at these magazine covers and we see these perfect looking pictures of people not realizing, not remembering that they've most likely been airbrushed. Right. And we compare ourselves. We, we, we base our self-worth and our family's worth on something that's not even real. And that's what I mean when I talk about embracing the messy I'm talking about seeing how beautiful your family is, even though it's messy, because that's how God sees all of us. You know, he sees us beautiful, even though we're a mess and seeing that your family is perfect, just the way they are, even in the mess and embracing that choosing to live every day saying, you know what, this is far from perfect, but it's, it's ours Hmm. and it's a gift. Yeah. Also being grateful we talk about in a lot of our self-care content, we talk about the power of gratitude. Stop wishing for something different or something better. First, be thankful for what you already have. Wow. And I think that's where a lot of discontent comes from. A lot of discontent, it's not necessarily that I want something that I can't have or want something that I don't have. It really comes out of a refusal to be thankful for what you already do have. And when we can stop and be grateful, that changes us. That changes us. Simply saying, you know what? It's messy, but I'm thankful for this house that I have. It's messy, but I'm thankful for the car I drive. It's far from perfect, but I'm thankful that that sun rose today, Hmm. that I have another day of life. That, yeah, I've been in all-out combat with this kid, but I love him and I'm thankful for them. You know, simply saying those kind of, those whispering those things over and over to yourself every single day, that changes you, that makes you a better person. And it makes you a better person, not apart from the mess, but in the middle of the mess. 
That's so beautiful. And there's so much power in that. And one of the things we say on this podcast, kind of our tagline, is that there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. And that just so perfectly fits with what you said, because as we learn to see the beauty in the messiness, and as we learn to intentionally look at the things that we do have and that we are grateful for, just how powerful that is in changing everything about our perspective and how we approach things. And even in the really, really hard times when we are desperate and hopeless and everything seems dark. And like you said at the beginning, where everything seems like it's covered with clouds, but we know the sun is behind that and we know it's still shining. Mm -hmm. Um, That that all ties together and helps, yeah, helps us see the beauty in our journey and see the purpose in it rather than only comparing it to the highlight reels that we see from everybody else. So beautifully said, thank you for those words of wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. Where can our audience connect with you? Yeah, so the best place right off the bat is to visit our blog, which is our main, what we call the mothership, and that is confessionsofanadoptiveparent.com. You can also check out our podcast, which is called the Honestly Adoption Podcast. Um, You can find out all about that over at honestlyadoption.com. And then we also have a virtual support site called Oasis. um, And that's over at oasiscommunity.me. So a couple of different ways to find us. That's great. And you'll have a conference coming up this fall as well, right? We do. Yeah. Uh, We're launching our very first conference called the Insight Conference. Uh, It's happening this November 15th and 16th right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And you can find out about that by visiting insightconference.org. And I will say this, we also have live streaming tickets. So if you can't make it to Indianapolis in person, which we would love for you to do, uh, then you can also purchase the live streaming package by visiting the registration page on insightconference.org. Well, that's very exciting. Uh, That's a great resource. We will provide links to these on our show episode notes and people can click right through and go to the different sites and resources you have available through that. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for coming on the Hope A New Podcast. It was great to chat with you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This was a, this was a fun interview. I appreciate it. 